Hey everybody, it's time to roll for intent with the Creator's Corner. It is time to bring you guys some new goodies. And you know what? We we just got done with Christmas literally yesterday. So, you know, and we're looking down a very nice Christmas present. What did we get, Trevor? Yeah, in fact, Christmas came a little bit early for us because Paizo sent me over a copy of the Treasure Vaults. They luckily sent it to me right before I jumped on a flight, and I got to read the sucker cover to cover uh, in one sitting, which is something that I do not get to do very often with new books. You sent me the the copy of this, and I def I skimmed it immediately, just quickly scanning over, looking for all of the little the little goodies and things that could be in there, and. When I was uh, flipping through, I did notice, and we kind of wanted to let you all know, there are certainly a few things in here that are not here, actually. And I know one of the ones I've seen so much speculation. Will we finally see kobold traps? The answer is no, because there are no traps in this book. <laughs> right. I want to I want to I want to hit the brakes a little bit. I want to tap the brakes a little bit. The way that we're going to structure today is because just like we've done on every other new content book release we've done. We'll do several of these. Today, we're going to focus first on the things that are in and not in this book holistically. And then we're going to dig in a little bit to arms and armor uh, and the new traits and the new stuff they got put into that. So just as an aside, that's the way that we're going to be looking at that. And Christian is 100% right. There's so much in here that it's easy to overlook a few of the things that we kind of maybe expected to be in here and weren't. Kobold traps being one of them. But we did get a ton of new tattoos. Oh, yes. Tattoos are in here. And that I think a lot of people are going to be excited for. I know looking over, I saw two tattoos immediately that were going to be absolute must haves for my orc summoner. Oh, yeah, I remember sending those over to you. And you're like, yep, I got to get this. Got to have this before I was able to get Christian his copy because I didn't have enough bandwidth to send the copy to him. Uh, I was just sending things over text before jumping on the plane. And he was very excited by a, a couple of those tattoos that I sent him. And I will throw out there for all of our Summoner fans, nothing really for Eidolans. There's one item for a character for Eidolan, and we'll cover that when we get there. But it's a pretty minor thing, so nothing that is crazy exciting. There's a tiny amount of things for Animal Companions, but uh, overall, there's a, a consumable that actually has a little bit of a bite to it. I think that's going to be really popular. Other than that, we just have a few kind of flavor things that are pretty inconsequential. There is a ton of new classes of items in here, new mechanics, new traits for weapons and armor. We have things like bottled monstrosities. We have a new talisman-like thing called a missive. Uh, there's not really much in the way of character options, but there are things called relic archetypes that are tied to items, archetypes that you can get that are tied to items. They got things that are full sets of gear that's like raid equipment in an MMO. There's a lot of really cool stuff in here that I was not expecting. A couple things I had hoped for, maybe hope against hope, I would love to see a, a new Thaumaturge implement, but I think it's probably foolish for me to have hoped for that since it's such a new class. Daddy loves his Thaumaturges, though. <laughs> 
oh no, the new class that could do almost everything didn't get a new toy. <laughs> you know what? Shut up. I'm sad on the inside. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, though, there are a couple new alchemist options. And when we get to the consumable section, we will certainly go over those. But I know that was something they hinted at for the release of this book. And I want to let you guys know. Uh, those changes to the alchemists are insanely minor changes. They they have to do with covering how do how they interact with some of the new consumables introduced in this book. There is no you know any kind of major overhaul of the alchemist in any way, shape, or form. In fact, there is not even a new path for the alchemist. It is just this is how the alchemist kind of interacts with a few of these new items because the normal way they had to add a little bit of text to it just to help it make a little more sense. And finally, last but not least, the thing that we were all expecting that we did actually get were updated crafting rules. I don't want to make a value judgment on them yet. We'll save that. Uh, but they are different enough that they matter. Um, they might not be the massive overhaul that you wanted, but I think they're a big enough overhaul to improve crafting for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I do want to add, you know, I see a lot of, you know, people talking about things back and forth with the crafting, and I'll tell people right now, there is absolutely no way to make crafting make sense in a tabletop role-playing game. There just is no way to do it, because every single item would have to have its own set of rules to have it make sense. And I know definitely people... You know, Paizo and their four day crafting rule thing, which obviously there's new changes in this book. But, you know, people, oh, it does not take that long to make, you know, insert item that only takes a tiny bit of time on this side. However, on the other side of that, we have, oh, a flying ship, a magic flying ship. OK, I made that in four days. Now what? <laughs> it's just like, OK, yeah, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's way too hard to balance verisimilitude and fun. When you're doing crafting, unless you've built your entire system around crafting, which I know that there are systems out there that they are more built around that. But it's so easy to throw the balance off of a game if you make crafting too simple or too difficult. Uh, and I, I still, you know, I'm not in love with the crafting rules, but I realize why they are the way that they are for a system like TUI. We have this discussion a lot in our West Marches games, right? Oh, it's God, so yeah. easy for somebody <laughs> to throw the economy of a system, or throw the economy of a game world out of balance if you loosen the crafting rules too much. Well, and fundamentally, you know, this is a game at its heart about adventure and finding treasure, not a game of, you know, towns and bureaucracy and taxes and making stuff. So I get it. That wasn't what they intended with the game. And I appreciate that people love the game and want to expand it into all levels of play. But don't expect Paizo to put out rules for that. You're going to have to work it out yourselves. <laughs> you mean I can't play Sim Hamlet 1099? You can. I'm just saying I wouldn't wait for Paizo to make those rules. You're probably going to have to do some stuff on your own. <laughs> Content creators, we have design space for Sim Hamlet 1099. Just give me a call. <laughs> so we were going to get into some actual content today, weren't we? I believe so. The first section you are going to hit when you get into this book is armor. And when you look at this, you, when you get to the armor section, you are going to look at a page of armor very similar to like what you see in the core rulebook. And it is chock full of brand new mundane armor 
And this is all somewhat rather niche armor, you know, stuff that's made by elves or we have options of wood armor for druids. And, you know, if you want to be this walking juggernaut that can it is so hard to hit you, but your movement rates only 10. You can do that, too. (laughs) We've got a return of Lamellar armor. I think that's going to be a make a lot of people happy. We're going back to Lamellar armor like we had in 1E. Um, I know I use that on a lot of characters in 1E. Uh, they have a medium Hell Knight option, which is always fun. There's a lot going on here as far as, you know, it's hard to call it mundane because it's all interesting, but it's mundane armor. It's not magic. It's not unique. There are a bunch of new classes of mundane armor and a bunch of new material types as well that have specific properties associated with them. And uh, new types of armor and critical specializations to go with all of this new stuff, too. And I will say, you know, a lot of this armor and weapons that we're going to cover today, there is a ton of sprinkling of stuff that has been introduced in other books and adventure paths. They really seem like they are consolidating all of that stuff up to this point in this book, you know, you're going to find the Hopesh, you're going to find the Bolos, you know, two items that were introduced in Gods and Magic. And, you know, some of this other items have been popped in adventure paths and various other things. So they're really doing their best to just like, hey, here's all of that stuff right here. So it it is very handy to have it all here. Right. I don't want it to sound like a complaint or a uh, concern that they're padding content because I don't think they are. I think it's very important for a piece of content like this that says I'm about this very specific sort of thing to make an attempt at collecting some of that information that is in pieces of content that are less geared towards this type of item or type of uh uh, character feature, I think it's really important for them to put them in with like items. So I'm not having to search through gods and magic for equipment because that's frankly really annoying to me. If I'm somebody that's searching through books and not just back to an early episode, not just relying on AON, but actually wanting to use the books and the PDFs and stuff that we have. I think it's really important and I don't feel like it's padding content. I feel like it's rectifying mistakes in content placement or augmenting content placement in a positive way. Oh yeah, no, by no means is there any question about is the is the value of this book worth it compared to all the content you receive. There is a ton of stuff in here. So, yeah, I mean, the occasional intermixing of, you know, items that are being consolidated into one place because they've appeared in other sources. Uh, to me, it's honestly kind of icing on the cake because there's plenty of space for it. This is a a pretty beefy book in of itself. So and everyone loves that for item books anyways. So I I think it's totally fine. We have a new class of item uh, that seems like it's kind of a build of something else. You know how we had shield bosses and shield spikes that you could augment a shield with, right? We now have armor adjustments which are level one, level zero items that you can add to armor to adjust its properties or traits in some minor way. You've got armor latches, which you can modify armor to make it easier to remove 
instead of taking the same amount of time to remove the armor as it does to put on the armor, you can remove it with a three action activity if it's got latches on it. There's storage, so you can store items on the armor. And there's also uh, weapon harnesses that allow you to use an interact action to attach and remove weapons from your armor and give you a bonus to your DC against disarm attempts of those weapons that are attached to it. Not a whole lot yet, but it is giving design space. Yet again, there's that term again for content creators or for Paizo itself to add more of this stuff in in the future. Yeah, I definitely see the potential of adding a lot more because I believe there's only, yeah, there's only two, three armors in here that even have these adjustments. One for each of the ones that Trevor just mentioned. So it's not like they're something that all of a sudden is just everywhere in here. And it does a great job of allowing other content creators, hey, here is another option or just DMs in general that you're, hey, I want to make some special armor that I'm going to give to my party. And here are more options for me to do so. I think one of the other new armor traits that is interesting for characters that really love the heavy armor, we have the entrenched trait that basically allows you to spend an action and increase your armor class versus a style of attack. And with the entrenched trait, it is either geared towards melee or ranged attacks. So it's almost as if it's like a a parry in a sense or a raise shield action that you get to spend that action and increase the bonus that you would get to your armor class. I will say I have a slight, this is my only gripe that I was able to find in this book is I love entrenched. I think it's really cool. I think it's flavorful and thematic. There's a couple unique armors in this book that have the entrenched trait. They're a type of bastion plate armor, which is a new class of plate armor. And they mention uh, the usage of the entrenched trait in probably a way that they named it while going through the development phase. So when I was reading this book the first time, I, I go get to this piece of equipment that has the entrenched trait, and it talks about using it to deflect melee Uh, And that is not a term that's used anywhere else in the book. So be aware of that. When you get to entries for unique bastion plate armors, when it talks about the deflection bonus or deflecting against melee or ranged weapons, they mean using the entrenched trait. It it must have slipped through in the editing, but threw me for a loop the first time I read it. Yeah, and I do want to add on that that bonus to your armor class that plus one is a circumstance bonus so just like shield just like cover there is no shortage of ways that you're getting circumstance bonuses so do keep an eye on that because i find even in games people are there are so many of them that people are just forgetting that hey most of that stuff isn't stacking you know if you have cover and shield raised both of those are a plus two circumstance bonus <laughs> you're not getting extra extra benefit from that i don't want to make it sound like it's all sunshine or rainbows with these new traits either because there's a couple of them that are straight up negatives to your armor which makes sense based on the type of bonuses they're usually paired with we've got hindering armor which gives you a speed penalty separate and in addition to the existing armor speed penalty and affects you even if you beat the strength score of the armor, the strength requirement score of the armor. And there's ponderous, 
which allow, which requires you to take a minus one penalty to initiative checks, or if you don't meet the strength requirement already to the armor, you take the penalty equal to the armor check penalty to your initiative. That's pretty crazy, and that's reserved for things like that bastion plate armor with the entrenchment because it is more fortifying and protective. Items like that typically have either hindering or ponderous or both. Uh, we also have a couple of new armor specialization effects because they introduce uh, obviously wooden and then there is skeletal armor in here. And their specialization effects are actually really cool. I dig them a lot. And for the skeletal, you gain resistance to precision damage equal to three plus the value of the armor's potency ruin or for medium armor and five plus the armor's potency ruin for heavy armor. So. That's just a really cool little benefit there. I thought it was a fun, a fun little add-on. The wood specialization is kind of cool, but it's kind of silly as well, in my opinion. Because if something hits you uh, with a critical hit, they take piercing damage as the armor splinters and snaps back at you. You'd think that would damage your armor as well, but apparently not. Nope. <laughs> Yep, it, and it is the same value. It's that three plus armor potency for medium and five plus armor potency for heavy armor. We got a lot of, a lot of fun potency runes too, don't we? Oh, we've got a lot of new. Sorry, not potency. Property runes. Uh, the advancing rune. That's It's the first one you come across. Actually, I think this one is really, really cool. And what it is, it's a free action. Uh, your last action uh, reduced an enemy to zero hit points effect you stride up to 15 feet this movement doesn't trigger reactions so and if you have a movement of burrow climb fly swim you can use that instead but this is like and it's a heavy armor rune so you're dropping people on the battlefield and you can just keep going it's really awesome it has a ton of flavor in this on the other side of that spectrum we also have immovable armor which works like an immovable rod that when you activate it once per day, it anchors you in place. You defy gravity. You are completely immobilized until you dismiss it. Requires a DC 40 uh, check to force open essentially your armor or with 8,000 pounds of pressure. But I thought that was really neat. Uh, I love anything that brings back uh, the immovable rod or something to do with an immovable rod. It's such a great piece of gear. Oh, immovable rods are like a must have when I get to a level that I can get them. <laughs> like I want two or three. <laughs> you just can't live without them. There are a couple of things in this book, though, that, uh, I, you know, I scratch my head a little over like the misleading rune. It's not that in itself isn't, you know, bad, but I don't see the value for the rune level. It is a 16 level rune. You know, you are concealed. And the DC flat check to target you is six instead of five. Okay, that's extremely minor. And then once per day, you can, the armor cast mislead, which, you know, is okay. But for like a 16th level rune, I'm like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Right. The, I find the advanced rune, the advancing rune to be way more useful for that than that. And that's only a level nine rune. Significantly cheaper. Significantly easier oh, to get. Oh, yeah. And that one, if you bump that one up to level 16, the greater advancing rune, you can now stride your speed instead of 15 feet. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like 
uh, I don't see why I would ever use that. But again, everyone's play style is different. Maybe there are people going out or maybe people out there are like, that's awesome. I would love to have that. <laughs> that's that's why there's so many of these different runes. I think my favorite one, though, is, has to be the swallow spike. It has to be the swallow spike. It's so good. If you're being grabbed, restrained, or immobilized by a creature, your armor grows spikes and makes an attack. If they're swallowing or engulfing you in some reason, it does extra damage, and it can cut you free if it equals or exceeds the rupture value of the immobilizing entity. So, so good. And there's the swallow spike, the greater swallow spike, and the major swallow spike. That, you know, something like that might have saved Solus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, it it probably would have. Such a cool, cool piece of, of... runage well and there aren't a a huge amount of oh i have to have this for armor as a rune and the swallow spike if you are any kind of frontline fighter you know anyone will tell you swallow holes one of those things that you're like i don't worry about it until it happens to you and then you realize you are horribly ill-prepared if you unless you have that amazing athletics to just climb back out you're in a serious problem because you you'll start suffocating after a little bit i mean it's just all around awful and i'm not saying it shouldn't be you just got swallowed by a monster but <laughs> i know a lot of people the uh, i've seen it happen for the first time in a lot of people and when they start seeing all of those rules being applied they're like oh oh no how, wait oh, how yeah. do i get out again <laughs> oh yes There's a bunch of specific magic armor. I don't want to really get into it because it runs the gamut just like magic armor does throughout the entire game. Uh, But it's a lot of really thematic, really neat stuff that you might find that you absolutely have to have for your character concept. So definitely do not sleep on those. It's, It's two, three pages, something like that. And it includes some items that are crafted from bits of monsters. So putting more into that hole in order to craft this, you need bits of a monster to make it. I love that. It makes the item feel like something you had to work for. And I really hope that GMs that allow this piece, these pieces of equipment make use those requirements as well, because it's such a cool way to tell a story. Oh, yeah, there. And, you know, just to we have Remora's armor. We have a rusting carapace involving a, you know, you need a rust monster. A Lenorm's Sankeet. How do you pronounce that? I'm never good at pronouncing things for the first time. I, oh, I love the wolfjaw armor. Oh, that's a good one. Let's get you activate it. Your hands turn into wolf jaws and you do piercing damage uh, and it does cold damage and it has the trip trait. Just like if you were a monk and went into wolf stance. Super neat. I think it's super cool. And it you just craft it from three winter wolves. I think, ironically, uh, one of the most powerful armors for people that would be using it, such as barbarians and druids, the Trollhound Vest. This is, I wanted to cover this because for its level, I honestly kind of feel like this armor might be a little overpowered. It's a level six item. It's plus one hide armor. You know, nothing unusual there. You have a minus one penalty to your diplomacy checks when interacting with trolls, plus one diplomacy checks to make impressions in uh, communities plagued by troll attacks. So, you know, a little flavor there for you. 
But the power of this armor, it is a reaction. There's no limit. You can use it as often as the trigger condition is met. You take damage from a melee attack while you have half or fewer your normal hit points. Your body knits itself back together, healing 3d8 points of damage. At level six, and there's no upgrade to this. This is just, this is the armor. But at level six, that is a lot being able, oh, I'm down by half. Okay, 3d8. 3d8 and if you are a barbarian or you know a, a, a less than heavily armored frontline fighter this is a impressive piece of armor honestly absolutely oh there is one more thing that we didn't get to in the new armor traits and i really wanted to to touch on it because i thought it's really cool um and it's really good because i don't want to leave out our light armored our spell casters behind there's a new trait called Inscribed that allows you to treat your armor as if it were a scroll. And you can add, essentially, the text of scrolls to your armor and cast those scrolls from your armor. Super cool. Brings back things like the convenient scroll case from 1E that allowed you to just cast scrolls that were stored into a case. Now you can cast a scroll that's on your armor. Oh, look, I don't have to prepare uh, freedom of movement. I, I have it, though, in case something grabs me. Very neat. A great thing to put on your armor. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, this brings us to shields. And there's a lot of fun things you can do with the shields in this. <laughs> I'm so glad they added more shields. We always need more shields. I'm curious to see, though, how many uh, how many players are going to go with the fortress shield. And if you thought, you know what? They need a better, more souped up tower shield. Well, you're in luck because you got one. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it's it's nuts i love it yeah the fortress shield is hands down the most expensive mundane shield 20 gold pieces uh raise the shield your you get a circumstance bonus of three for your armor class and then if you take cover you get the up to four so only increases by one however this shield pen, this the shield penalty is a minus 10 foot movement to speed. So, you know, if you've got your if you're rocking your bastion plate, which is minus 10 and hindrance and you meet the strength requirement, you're still got 10 from the armor and now 10 from the shield. If you're rocking a 25 movement, your movement's down to five. <laughs> it also has a new shield trait called hefty, which requires you to use two actions to raise the shield instead of one. So yes. double whammy. They added a bunch of new shield traits yet again, like they've added traits to the armor. They made shields way cooler with some of these, I feel like. Oh, yeah. The the rules and additional shields for throwing are ton of fun. Captain America builds. Here it comes. Well, and you know what? It's it's not even if you're going to focus that. But, you know, how many sword and board fighters you're like, oh, shoot, the enemy's way over there. There's literally nothing I can do. And even though you're not ever dealing a ton of damage with your thrown shield, it's an option. And you're like, cool, I can throw a returning rune on this. I can huck my shield pops right back and then I can raise it. Ton of fun. This I just I can't wait to build something like that. That's going to be hilarious. We also can inscribe your shields just like you can inscribe armor with that that previous trait that we talked about. There is a specific shield throw trait. It is a shield that's meant to be thrown. 
And there's also the launching trait, which is for shields that have a weapon embedded in them that can shoot things, like there's a dart shield in here that does that. Fold away is really neat too. It can fold away into a gauntlet or whatnot when you're not using it. Very cool. Yeah, just to let you guys know, there are 12 new shields in here. So there is a huge improvement from the wood se- wooden shield, steel shield, buckler, and tower shield of the core rulebook. We have a 300% increase in mundane shields in this book by itself. It's really cool. Bringing back things like the Klar, which is the integrated with the, the claw type 1d6 slashing versatile piercing weapon. A meteor shield, which is specifically a 30-foot throne shield. Razor disc, which is a 20-foot throne shield. It's exactly what it sounds like it is. Yep. <laughs> and that one's integrated. So what that means is it's a, a property or a trait in here that it's integrated D6 slashing, which means it has built in slashing damage when you throw it. Otherwise, when you throw a shield, it just does the normal shield damage of your shield. So a D4 for a standard shield, but you can get shield spikes. You can get the embossment. So you can still do all those things to increase that stuff. But the the thrown shield, you know, like he said, like Trevor said with the meteor shield, it's just a, it's just going to deal that D4 damage unless you're doing something to soup it up. Bunch of specific magic shields in here again. Um, I think my favorite one out of them is the clockwork shield. It's very fun. It allows you to not have to use that feat to get shield block if you're not going to use it very much anyway, because you can activate this thing once a day and you get an extra reaction this turn and at the start of each of the next year each of your turns for the next minute that you can use to shield block. So you get a free shield block reaction for a minute. So if you're only ever using shield block against the BBEG or the biggest fight that you do in a day, why use a whole feat when you can just get the clockwork shield? 11 weapon, uh, a level 11 weapon. And there's a greater clockwork shield as well with a higher hardness. And the gears are treated like shield spikes on this thing as well. Plus two striking shield spikes on the base clockwork shield and plus three greater striking shield spikes on the greater clockwork shield. Very neat item. I think my favorite here was the sapling shield just for amusement and flavor. This is a buckler that it grows into a tower shield. When you spend an action, you can basically turn your buckler into a tower shield. It gains the, you know, the corresponding armor class, speed penalty, the ability to take cover. The only thing that doesn't change is the hardness, um, but it does increase by two. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get the tower shield hardness. But and there are a whole list of these, just like with the sturdy shield that you know there's a level three a six a nine a 12 a 15 and 18 so you know there's a whole large degree of hardness and hit points and break thresholds for these but as far as flavor i just thought this was a very fun shield that i have a buckler no tower shield no buckler but yeah there's not a ton of shields in here as far as you know the the standard unique shields i think there's what half a dozen yeah i mean We have an embarrassment of riches in new mundane shields, and I think that's really the story here, is that we now have more than four mundane shields. Big, big, big bonus. Yeah, taking a shield now is a way more impactful decision in a sense that, oh, you shield, okay, great. 
That means I only have this other one-handed weapon that's going to deal a D8 and maybe have a fatal trait, so that's all I can do. No, you're going to gain a whole host of other options that are going to be able to benefit your character. So it's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun to see what people come up with in these builds. That brings us to weapons. I think that's the last bit that we're going to talk about today, though, is the weapons. And there are a lot of them. <laughs> oh, there's a lot added in weapons. If you are one of those people that was kind of on the fence for 2E because you didn't have a lot of the weapon traits and abilities that you had in 1E or the abilities to do weird, crazy things with specific weapons, oh boy, keep an eye out for some of these. We got Brace back. Brace is back. I love Brace. Oh, yeah. We've got, you know, there's a couple of weapons here that they... You know, it's not that they have an, a specific trait, but they can function as both melee and range weapons, which is cool. There's, you know, there's crossbows that have blades on them that sort of function as bayonets so that you also can threaten while you're using your ranged attacks. So if an enemy comes up to you and your fighter's right behind them, well, you can help flank. You're not just sitting there now without mm -hmm. the ability to do anything. And there's a few other items, things like the Dwarven Wrecker. This is a really fun item. It is a advanced weapon, a dwarf weapon. It looks like a basically a stone ball wrapped in iron with spikes on it attached to this large gauntlet piece and a chain retractor. And you can either throw this out as a range weapon is it's a two-handed weapon for both the range and melee aspect. It has range trip as a range weapon, but as a melee weapon, it it's just, it's so much fun to imagine dwarves armed with these things to just go out there. And it has the reach trait, so it's sort of like a two-handed gnome flick mace, in a sense, for if you're using it as a melee weapon for the dwarf. So... Not quite as good, obviously, because it's two-handed, but it also has this very large range increment, and then you can retract it as an action to pull that chain back in and you know keep using it again and again. So it's a really interesting item, certainly by no means you know overpowered, but ton of flavor, very cool. We've got another dwarven. There's a bunch of dwarven items action actually in here, and I've been very, very happy with the amount of dwarf items because I was very underwhelmed with things that had the Dwarven trait before. So we get the Dwarven Dorn Dergar, which is kind of like a meteor hammer for dwarves. That's neat. And there's a long hammer. So if you wanted to do some bludgeoning damage at range with Trip and wanted to be a, a dwarf, get that 1d8 ranged. We got a long hammer now. Super fun. I love it. I had seen some chatter about people talking about a a hobgoblin spear a while back. That's the breaching pike. It is a uncommon martial weapon. It is a one handed reach weapon that does D six piercing. And it has a trait, I believe appeared for the first time in this book, but maybe an adventure path. I'm not hundred percent certain called raising. I think raising's new here. And what that does is these weapons are good at damaging structures. When they deal damage to an object, the object takes additional damage equal to double the number of weapon damage dice. So, you know, times two if it's non no striking rune, times four, times six, times eight. So, you know, just a little boost to help get over the hardness of objects. 
And honestly, that boost is pretty handy when you get to point like I know even in the in our abomination vaults podcast. There's been times where we've attacked objects and people just gave up on it because everyone quickly realized that hardness is just too high and we're never going to get any headway. So we need to <laughs> abandon ship and and focus on the enemies. So with a raising weapon, you might have a little more luck with stuff like that. We've got vehicular weapons, too, that are meant for mounting on vehicles or mounted combat. We got some uh, battle saddles now. So you can uh, attack while charging with a mount with a battle saddle with these big old blades. And you can actually parry attacks with it, too. It's pretty cool. There are so the the standard, you know, uh, list of items that you see in the core book that very you know, alternating color list uh, that is done in a row. There is equivalent of two pages of new or reprinted items. And a lot of these are new. I mean, yes, there's certainly plenty of stuff reprinted as we mentioned, but there's a lot of new stuff here. And this just opens up the field for so many things. You know, we've got stuff like the, the rotary bow. It has a capacity of four. It is a bow, D8, piercing damage, 10 bolts, but it's just so interesting, some of these weapons. The gauntlet bow, and just as you imagined, it is a bow that sort of attaches to your gauntlet, only does a D4 damage, capacity 4, but it is a free hand, so it doesn't technically even take a space. Just one hand to use it, and it also has the parry trait as well. It's a really good item for a thaumaturge, hinge, hint, nudge, nudge. (laughs) what isn't a good item for a thaumaturge don't know man but i really like that one out of two-handed weapons i think other than two-handed weapons two-handed weapons are bad don't have those (laughs) no but it allows you to still use things like your implement while doing it or anybody that needs that free hand to do anything a free-handed fighter fantastic for them too. give them that range for something while still allowing you to do your combat maneuvers and such Big fan. Yeah, I love any type of freehand weapon. Just as something to have, even though you may hardly ever use it, just having it on your character is a ton of fun. Bunch of runes. So a lot many of runes. runes. I will say, though, if you're looking for, you know, a bunch of new damaging runes, you're not going to see that. <laughs> no, but you got cool runes. Oh, yes. No, you do have you do have some pretty fun stuff, actually. Um, I think one of the cool ones I think people are going to kind of like are the there's a coding rune. And this is specifically for applying poison. It can hold one bulk and basically in an extra dimensional space. And what it allows you to do is to coat the weapon in poison. You still have to use the same number of actions. But what you do not need to have is a free hand. Exactly. Yeah, so it actually makes things like the assassin uh, archetype and things like that way more interesting and some pretty fun things that you can do with this. You can also apply oil, so it's not just poison. So you can throw an oil and I believe is it an oil requires you to use two hands to apply. It does. There's one specific type of weapon coating that needs two, two hands and a magic oil, I think, is it. Which makes it completely worthless unless you use it before combat. It's a pain. But this makes it less worthless. As, is, as it's a level 9 rune, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't need to be using it for, 
the magic weapon. And I guess that's true. Another interesting one is the swarming rune. And this can be etched onto a thrown weapon. So maybe with your new throwing shields, this could be a, a fun one to tack onto there. And what this one does is to action to activate it once per hour. You fling your weapon and it multiplies as it flies through the air, filling a 30 foot cone. All creatures within the area take damage equal to double the weapon's number of damage dice. DC 27 basic reflex save. The only thing I'll say about that is for a level nine rune and the action consumption that it uses I just feel there's something off here. I don't know if it's the frequency. I don't know because the damage you're talking is minuscule. And then you throw a basic reflex save on top of on top of it plus two actions. This is very cool in principle, but at the end of the day I'm just like, you know, beyond having to take out an enemy that I know only has like one hit point and you know, I'm not in that range. I just it's cool, but I just I want to use it, but I just can't ever really see myself doing this over attacking with it. It could be useful for something that has weakness to area effect damage, like a swarm or something. It might be OK for that. Uh, that's true. We have something new in here also that, well, we have a lot of new things in here, but paired weapons. And this oh, yes. is this is really cool. It is you get two. You don't get you have to acquire them separately. They're they're not like they don't come in a package. They're not tied together like you just came back from Costco. But there is like there are four weapons listed, two pairs. So the first one is the grounding spike and the polarizing mace. And just as you can imagine, these weapons work in tandem with each other. So they have effects that when one hits and then the other one hits, it's so cool. There is a lot and i'm debating should we tell them everything in it i just eh, it's really cool <laughs> i will say that it's it's meant for coordinating with somebody so it's not like you need to be a two weapon wielder and be using this grounding spike and the polarizing mace it's actually ideal if you have a some another person in your party using the other pair because they have aoe effects uh between the two of you um Lots of cool stuff. There's four of them in here. One of them's electricity-themed. The other one's cold-themed. I'll let you read the book, uh, but it's really cool. It was one of the, the things that I read in here that really blew me away as far as a novel concept, um, because even more stuff that increases team coordination is a win in my book, and that's what that does. I'm telling you, though, if you get a two-weapon fighter, you have two grounding spikes and two polarizing maces. You could wreak some havoc. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so this section has my favorite unique weapon, like favorite specific weapon. I don't think it's unique, but specific weapon type that I've seen in the entire game. I love it thematically. It's not that wonderful, but I think it's really, really cool. It's called the Stargazer. It's a clear quartz ball, orbits your head like an Aeon Stone. Cool, by itself, right there. If you have it invested, so it's a magical item that has to be invested, you can interact with this item to direct it to orbit one of your hands, and then you can telekinetically smash it into people as if it's a plus two striking returning club. So cool. If you crit with it, it dazzles the struck creature as well. I love this item. I want to play a game where I have this item. 
It is my favorite thing that I've ever seen as a weapon in this game. I don't know why, but it is so cool to me. I love it. Yes, I, I do wish it would have started at a lower level and they did like a plus one version. And then uh, because, you know, even with specific weapons, you can increase those potency and striking runes. So sometimes when these items start at plus twos, I'm like, ah, this is so cool, but it's a level 14 item. And you're like, ah, I want to see like a level seven version that's only plus one striking <laughs> potency rune returning club. That's what house rules are for, Christian. Now I know. I just sometimes feel like, ah, oh, we could have we could have made this so much more fun. They separated this bit into a few different types, too, because we have clockwork arms. We have the paired weapons. Uh, that bit that I just said was for the celestial armory. They've got a bunch more beast armaments. So kind of like beast guns. But these are, again, from pieces of creatures. Always fun. Uh, spark guns and star guns uh, for the gunslingers in your life. There are a ton of unique weapons in here. Uh, what is that? That's six pages of them and really cool art to go along with them. Yeah, I mean, just just as a quick little, you know, some of these beast weapons, the the vampire fang morning star immediately jumped out at me. Uh, a level eight item plus one striking wounding morning star and interact once per minute. Your last action was a successful strike with the weapon. You are not in direct sunlight. The Vampire Fang Morningstar absorbs blood from the target, healing the wielder for 10 hit points. And it just very cool, very thematic. And it even has, even the, the flavor text is really funny because it says this, you know, studded with teeth pulled from a vampire, which usually requires a Animate donor given vampires tendency to turn to dust when destroyed. So I feel this is great use for tooth fairies. Vine whip is really cool uh, as well uh, because it allows you to essentially plant this vine in the ground and it continues to attack with vine whip strikes after you've dropped the thing. Very cool. Very thematic. Very neat thing for a druid to have, I feel like. Or a ranger. Really neat item. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great stuff in here. And, you know, I think this probably is going to wrap us up for today. We've already gone a little long and there is just so much we could talk about. But we've got more that we need to bring to you guys. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait for the more, too. It just keeps getting better. I oh, think yeah. we're probably going to go into alchemy next time, right? Yep. Alchemical items. Ooh, so much alchemy. You an alchemist. This is the book for you. Yep. There's ammunitions and bombs and foods now. Alchemical foods. That's going to be some fun stuff. Alchemical items as well, which I believe is fairly new. Yep. There's there's a lot of fun stuff here. <laughs> All right. Well, as I said, that's going to wrap us up for today. As usual, I'm Christian. And I'm Trevor. And you guys all have a great week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>